Thank you so much for being a part of this celebration with us. I want you to find your way to Isaiah 53 with me today, the 53rd chapter of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. If you don't have a Bible or a digital device, it'll be on the screen to help you today. Uh, But before we read it, let me explain to you why we're actually going to Isaiah 53. It's kind of an unlikely place for a resurrection weekend. Traditionally, the church has taught the Christmas story and the Easter story as if they were two distinct and separate stories. We kind of compartmentalize them. They are only a few months apart on the calendar, but they wind up being miles apart in our minds and in the way we think about them. Obviously, Easter, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Christmas is the incarnation, the day when God robed himself in human flesh, when the Son of God became one of us. He became Jesus, the son of man. God put on flesh. The problem is when we start looking at God's story in two parts or different parts instead of one congruent whole, because it is one congruent story, we start picking it apart and just celebrating it topically, we wind up missing some of the deep revelation and truth from the story itself. So what I want us to do is to look at Easter through the lenses of the Christmas story. Why would we do that? Because we fill the world through our skin. Flesh is the front door to our emotions. Our flesh is the most vulnerable part of our bodies. Our flesh is the reason we get abused and judged and enslaved and stereotyped. Flesh matters a lot. Regardless of the pigmentation of your skin color, this kind of skin is what it means to be human. So it should come as no surprise to us that flesh or skin is the central theological idea about God in the New Testament. So it shouldn't just be the theme for Advent or a theme we reserve for the month of December, which is why we did something different this year at North Place. We came out of Christmas and made a commitment that we're going to look at life through the lenses of the incarnation. We're going to study the Bible all year long through the lenses of the incarnation. We're going to pursue God through the lenses of him becoming one of us. And we realize that Jesus didn't just come to show us what God was like. Jesus came to show us what it looks like to really be human, that his humanity is the archetype and the model for what real humanity is supposed to look like. He was the model of a God-honoring humanity. So if you only focus on Jesus, the Son of God, you miss half of the reason why he came. He was also Jesus, the Son of Man. His humanity is as important as his divinity. And that's why I ask you to turn to Isaiah 53, because there's no other passage in the Bible, in my opinion, that helps us understand the humanness of Jesus as it relates to the Easter story more than the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote these words hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, but he pictures Jesus suffering in his flesh, a suffering savior, but a very real man experiencing very real pain. It says in verse Two of Isaiah 53, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There was nothing to attract us to him. He was an ordinary man. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. I don't know what kind of heartache you brought with you today, but God has acquainted himself with your deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. Notice how many times the prophet uses the word our. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But 
He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten, notice this, he was beaten so we could be made whole. Those of you that grew up reading the King James Bible or the English Standard Version will remember that phrase being the chastisement of our peace was upon him or he was punished for our peace. So why would the King James and others say peace and this version says whole? Because the Hebrew word originally there is shalom. And you can translate the Hebrew word shalom as wholeness or peace. But when you say peace in our English, we don't really understand the way the Hebrews understand peace. For us, peace is the absence of conflict. It's the absence of war. But peace in the Hebrew means so much more than that. To be, have, have shalom in the Hebrew means to be healed. It means to prosper. It means to be complete. It means to be well, that all is well with you. It means wholeness, completion, and perfection. That's why they greet each other with shalom. It is a blessing. And so when, when, when the scripture says he was beaten so we could be made whole or through his punishment we have peace, he bore pain and stripes so we could be healed mentally, physically, spiritually, every way. The plan of the cross was for you to have shalom in the Hebrew understanding, wholeness and completion. Verse 6 says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul tells us Jesus chose that. It was a choice of his will to lay aside his divine privileges, to leave the splendor of heaven and descend into the human condition. He chose to take on our skin. And when he chose to take on our skin, he made the decision to stand between us and the penalty of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There are none of us righteous. No, not one. We're all guilty. And there's a penalty for every one of us to pay in the law of God to have right standing with God. So when Jesus took on our skin, he chose voluntarily to be my substitute, your substitute, and stand between us and that penalty. So he bore our sorrow. He carried our burdens and our weaknesses and was pierced for our rebellion and was crushed for our sins. He descended into the mess of the human condition. Our dysfunction, our shattered relationships, our broken hearts, our addictions, our abuse, our sin, our shame. He became one of us that he might understand us because he wanted to feel what we felt. He wanted to know what we know. He wanted to grieve with us when we grieve and weep with us when we weep. He wanted to understand the brokenness of the human condition. And I'm convinced today There's somebody listening to me, whether they're watching online somewhere in the world or sitting in this room today, I'm convinced there are people here today that feel like nobody understands what they're going through, that that, that we, we just could not get it. And let me just confess, we may not get it, but I can promise you this, while there may be no man or woman in this room that understands what you're going through, based on what I read in the scripture and in my own life experiences, I can promise you God does. Isaiah 53 says, he descended into your pain to get to know you and identify with your brokenness, but his plan was never just to go there so that he could wallow in it with you. His plan was to create a way for you to come out of that pain and to do something about the brokenness in your life. Isaiah 53 is this incredible picture of the Savior's brokenness, human brokenness, but it doesn't stop there. It is also this beautiful picture of hope. The picture that because of the anguish that he experienced, there is hope for a new and different life for me. Isaiah 53, 11 says, when he, Jesus, sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, his suffering, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. 
So when he carried that cross, he was carrying my shame. He was carrying my sin. He was carrying my sickness, my sorrow, my broken heart. And he took it upon himself. That's why he came and put on skin. He said himself in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. In other words, God has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is what I've learned in my 45 years. Pain is a universal language. Everybody in this room understands pain. Now, all of us have experienced pain at different levels, but none of us are immune to it, regardless of creed, color, nationality, or economic standing. If you're in the poorhouse or the penthouse, a preacher or a prostitute, or anybody in between, everybody understands pain. So it shouldn't come as any surprise to us that when God was ready to communicate his love to the world, he did so in a way that identified with the human struggle of pain. He could have chosen countless ways to say to the world, I love you, to express the depth of his love to the human race. But he chose a cross and he chose excruciating and unimaginable suffering. He became a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And this image of a suffering savior is a clear picture of brokenness, but it's, almost, it's also this incredible display of beauty because it displays for us the depth of sacrificial love that God will take upon himself to rescue us. It's the strangest of ways for God to announce to the human race, I love you. But of all the ways he could have chosen to say that, why did he say it this way? Because if he had come any other way, he would have left somebody out. For his love to be shared by all people at all times, in all places, he had to say it in a way that we would all understand it. And everybody understands pain. You see, our lives are a lot like puzzles. And I don't mean the kind of puzzles your kids put together. I mean the thousand and 3,000 and 5,000 complicated pieces of puzzles. And some of you may know people who have hobbies of putting those puzzles together. I've known a few people in my life. And matter of fact, I even realized that these people are turning their hobbies into art. I looked online just yesterday and somebody had taken a puzzle of a Thomas Kincaid painting, the painter of light, and they put the 3,000-piece puzzle together, put a beautiful frame around it, and sold it. And it sold for almost $1,300 online. So they're taking their hobbies of these beautiful puzzles, framing them, and selling them as art. Our life is like those kind of beautiful yet complicated puzzles that take a lot of patience to put together. And let me, let me explain what I mean in, in a story. My mom was a single mom. She was a career woman. Uh, and uh, because of being single, my sister was 10 years older than me, got married, and was gone. So I was raised like a... Um, uh, an only child. And so my mom would drop me off at a daycare. Miss Bradshaw was the lady that ran the daycares. It was a small daycare just for a few families. She, her and her husband were incredible godly people in the church I grew up in. And my mom trusted her. And from my earliest, before I could ever remember a memory, I was in Miss Bradshaw's house up until I went to school. And I remember Miss Bradshaw. I remember her vividly. She's gone on to be with the Lord now, but I remember her vividly. She had two hobbies. One of them was puzzles, and the other was um, The Price is Right. I, I think she had a crush on Bob Barker, I just because she was infatuated with The Price is Right. The Price is Right came on, I don't know when it comes on now, but every day then it came on at 10 o'clock in the morning, every single day. And so at 10 o'clock every morning, she would line all of us up in front of the TV. There would be the youngest up near the TV, and the older ones, we would just stack behind them, and the very oldest was in the very back. And I remember starting on the front row, and as I got older, I made my way all the way to the very back row. And at the very back row, she would set up a card table, a square card table, and on Monday, she would dump out a new puzzle. 
Sometimes she would put one together in a week. Sometimes it was bigger. It'd take her a few weeks. But she would always start with the outward edges and make her way in. So she could find the edges and she would work her way towards the middle of the center of that puzzle. Now, this is, this is the, the, the thing I remember. And maybe, maybe it wasn't as bad as what it feels like, but it, it feels like it happened every day. That when Miss, when Miss Bratcher would get up, uh, she would get up at the commercial break right before the showcase showdown. There's always a commercial break right before the showcase showdown. And she would get up and go put on lunch for all of us kids. And maybe it wasn't every week but, or every day. It just feels like every day she gave us chicken pot pie. And I hate chicken pot pie. I despise chicken pot pie to this day. And some of you are cute because you have us over at your house and you serve chicken pot pie because you've heard me tell my stories about Miss Bradshaw. But it's not your homemade chicken pot pie that I don't like. It's the freezer burnt four for a dollar chicken pot pies that she served us that I don't like. Even today when I see the price is right, it's Drew Carey, it's not Bob Barker. I still taste freezer burnt chicken pot pies at the side of the price is right. Every day it felt like. And I don't know if it was the bitterness from freezer burnt chicken pot pies or just the streak of ornery that I have in me. I never did it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I always waited till she was almost done. And when she would get up to go put on the chicken pot pies, I would reach back there to the few pieces she had left and I would grab a handful of those pieces and I would put them in my pocket. And Miss Bratcher's house was not on a slab. It was up on a fount footing, um, and so it, it had a crawl space underneath it. So all of her duct work was underneath the house. And so I used her registers and played slots with those puzzle pieces, put quarters in coke. I just was putting them under the duct work of her house. And, and I can't tell you how many times she came to the end of the puzzle, and she argued with that puzzle. She argued at Walmart. I've heard, her, I, I've heard her take those puzzles, smash them together, put them back in the box and tell Mr. Bratcher, you go back to that customer service desk and tell them this sign says satisfaction guaranteed. I paid for 2,000 pieces, not 1,997. She, for the life of her, could not figure out why Walmart kept shortchanging her and her puzzles. I remember one particular puzzle. She loved it. It was massive. I had three or 4,000 pieces and took her weeks to put together a lot of showcase showdowns for that puzzle to come together. I only got one piece. I waited till the end. I got one piece. And it was a colonial-style house, these white columns, this massive set in the background, these rolling hills, white picket fence, this pasture full of beautiful stallions, and the one right in the middle is missing his head. And if you were to clean out, if, I don't know if the house even still stands today, but if you were to clean out her HVAC system and go through the duct work, his head is in there along with a whole host of other puzzle pieces that are in her vents and registers that can make a beautiful mosaic of some kind of puzzle. Our lives are like those kinds of puzzles. Miss Bratcher would frame them, hang them on the wall. She was proud of them. And our lives are like those. We have beautiful frames on the outside, 90-degree edges. We're well-groomed, especially today. We're well put together. And, when you get past the surface of our frame, you get below the surface a little bit, there's still beauty and substance to our life. But as you move towards the middle of our life, to the core of who we are, there are pieces that are missing from our life because somewhere along the way, somebody or something stole a piece from our life. That person, those people, that event, they shattered us. It ripped a part of our soul away from us. For some of us, we're missing pieces because there was evil, unjust evil, aimed at us from the evil of other people's lives. And for others of us, it was the occurrences of life that robbed us of that peace. And for some of us, 
We gave our pieces away. We made decisions of our own will to do things at that moment we knew probably were not the smartest decisions in our life, but we never counted the consequences of our decisions. And we didn't know that years later, making that decision was going to hurt so bad. And today, we're incomplete because of our own decisions. We gave the piece away. Now, don't get me wrong. Your puzzle, your image, your life, it's still beautiful. It's just incomplete. It's not whole. And that's the plan of your spiritual enemy. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. He said, the thief comes into our lives to steal, to kill, and destroy. But he says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying or an abundant life. Your spiritual enemy is doing what the spiritual enemy does, steals and kills. But this weekend is about rich and satisfying life provided by Jesus. It's about the promise of Jesus to turn your hopelessness into hope, about bringing healing from the hurt, joy from the sorrow, beauty from the ashes, and life out of death. The enemy comes to steal and kill, but Jesus comes to give a rich and satisfying, abundant life. He doesn't want me or you walking around with this fake exterior facade while we're dying on the inside. He wants us to have shalom. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to be whole. And what I want you to know is that his nail-scarred hands caught every one of those missing pieces of the puzzle when they fell from your life. Scripture says there's never been a lily wilt when he didn't cradle its fall. There's never been a sparrow fall to the ground when he didn't attend its funeral. And there's never been a piece of your puzzle go missing when he didn't cushion it in the palm of his nail-scarred hand. And he is waiting patiently for you to look to him today and say, Father, will you put me back together again? How do I know? I lived it. From my earliest memories, I was raped. Matter of fact, I was raped before I knew what was going on. I remember just coming to, being cognizant of what was going on in my life as a young kid and wondering, was this, it was so normal to me, just wondering if this was what happened to every kid. And yet even being so young, not having a grid of morality to know but right and wrong, I had an awareness, just sense a cognitive awareness that there's, this wasn't right. I felt shame. Um, felt like I was dirty. Um... I mean, even though I was this kid who had no grid of right and wrong, I just, I, I obviously sensed something wasn't right. And then as I got older and knew it wasn't right, I was threatened as abuse victims usually are. What would happen to me or other people I care about if I told? And so I'm trapped in this hell of sexual abuse for an early part of my life. I became a teenager and nobody knew and I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want that to define my life. So I didn't tell anybody. I ran from that. My father had been unfaithful to my mom early on. I never really had a solid family life. My sister's older. She knew that, but my family had fallen apart. My mom, we didn't believe in divorce. It was a very conservative family for any reason. And so my dad just went and came and slept around and did whatever he did. And he'd always come back. He took advantage of my mom's commitment to the marriage. And for 25 years, there were long extended periods of time where he was gone. When I was 14 years old, my mom hired a private investigator, and she found out that my father was married to another woman at the same time he was married to my mom, living a lie between both families. And that revelation sent me into a tailspin. That fire of heartache and pain from the abuse that I was trying to run from that had never gone away, it was like that moment poured gasoline on the fire, and I ran full bore into substance abuse to medicate the brokenness on my own heart. I became an addict. 
I literally got employed at a grocery store simply to steal out the back of that grocery store in order to meet my addictions. There are things that I'd done in my lifetime as a kid I would be ashamed to get up and confess to you because an addiction turned me into something I was never meant to be. And then I turned out at church one day. Somebody invited me to church and I showed up on the front row. I, I was a guest. I didn't fit there. I, I was so out of place. I'd been partying all night the night before. I still smelled like the party. I still smelled like alcohol. But the preacher stood up there that day and talked to me out of Isaiah 53 and told me about how God is a God who is able to not only forgive sin, but can heal broken hearts. It's the first time in my life I ever understood the gospel to be a gospel that can change my life now. I knew about the fire insurance side. I understood you got to get right so you don't go to hell and get right so you go to heaven. That's all I'd ever heard, the judgment and the condemnation side. But nobody ever told me there was a right now power to believing in Jesus to heal the broken heart. And he talked about the same Savior that died for sin. It also says he died for sorrow and he died for sickness and he died for shame and I realized in that moment I needed what he was saying not just for eternity I needed it for today but I knew I, I, I it wouldn't last I knew I couldn't stay sober so when he gave the altar call I don't know why I went but the whole time I went to respond that day to what the preacher said just come forward and pray with me I, before I knew it, I was standing in the front of the church to pray the prayer in the back of my mind. I'm like, this isn't going to stick. I want it to. I need it. I, I don't know how to live this. And there was a volunteer youth pastor named Rodney who was a butcher in that small town grocery store. That's what he did for a living. And he volunteered his time to work with the kids in that little church. He came and put his arm around me and said, Brian, I know a little bit of your story. And I promise you, if you'll help me, I'll help you. You won't have to do this alone. And Rodney walked with me. And in my journey with Rodney... He started taking me through the scriptures and showing me the promises in the Bible of restoration. He started showing me the story of Job where God gave back to Job everything that he had lost. And he showed me passages out of the book of Joel where God says that he will restore the years that the canker worm and the locust have eaten up and stolen. He's going to give those things back to you. And I, I started asking God to restore what my joy and to restore the life that had been robbed from me. And then I walked through the story of Joseph and I identified with Joseph so well because here is a guy who was betrayed by his brothers. They started to kill him and then they sold him into slavery and he was honest at Potiphar's house, but it got him thrown in prison and God elevated him out of prison and made him the second in command over all of Egypt. And he's standing there, God's sovereignty and faithful elevated him throughout all of his pain. And he's standing there one day with the power to get revenge on his brothers. And he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. That statement revolutionized my life. God says to Joseph, and I believe he's saying to all of us, I don't know what kind of evil has been aimed at you and the abuse that you endured, the pain that you've endured, the hell that you've gone through, but God's sovereignty is greater than their evil. And when Romans says all things work together for good to them that love God and are calling according to his purpose, the promises of God is that he can take the injustice, the evil, the heartache, the pain, and he can turn it around for his glory and use it for his good. He can take your brokenness and make it beautiful. That's why there's a Kintsugi art vase sitting outside in the foyer, the lobby area, because Kintsugi art is the art of damaged goods. That's what it's known as. It's an ancient Japanese art form that when porcelain or ceramic breaks, 
A kintsugi artist will take what everybody else was about to throw it away. They'll get all the fragments and rebuild the piece and use gold as the mortar. And the point is to say that when damaged goods are restored by the artist, they wind up being more valuable in kintsugi art than they ever were before they were broken. And it is an incredible picture of the gospel of grace. It is the same message that the cross screams to every one of us in this room because we are all damaged goods. But the gospel is the gospel. It is the art of restoring value to damaged goods. And I can promise you, when he gets through with you, you will be more valuable when he's finished than you ever were when you started. It's the art of damaged goods. That's the gospel. You know, there are a lot of names in the Bible for God. And uh, I've got a few degrees, and I know how to translate some of those from the Hebrew one of them is Jehovah Jireh. It just simply means our Lord provides. Jehovah Rapha, our Lord heals. Jehovah Shalom, the God our peace. So I just saw all those Jehovah whatever names in the Hebrew, and I just made up one. I, I call him Jehovah Frugal. You know why? Because I've learned in my life he doesn't waste pain. He has promised to take the evil that has been aimed at you and use it for his glory. He's not going to waste it. How do I know? I've seen it happen in my own life. You know those camps I talked about a moment ago? On Monday, the first Monday of June, and throughout the rest of the summer, those kids will get off that bus on Monday, and no matter what's going in my life, I make sure I'm there when those kids get off that bus, because every time they're 6 to 12 years old from the incredible trauma, unimaginable trauma, when they get off of those buses, every one of them, I, I see their names, we call them, we celebrate, we clap, but every time they get off the bus, my, under my breath, I say, devil, you're a liar, devil, you're a liar, devil, you're a liar. You took the wrong piece from the wrong kid and thought I was going to roll over and play dead, but the promise of God in my life is that he's going to restore my brokenness and make it beautiful, and then the pain in my life is going to become a passport into other broken people's lives, and I'm going to recreate the restoration process in my life, what God has done in me, and as many people as I can before I leave this earth, and and there are going to be hundreds of kids who find an experience. You tried to destroy me. You're trying to destroy them. But God is going to turn broken into beautiful. You took the wrong piece from the wrong kid. Because what you have come to steal, kill, and destroy, my Lord is going to give a rich and satisfying life. Not just to me, but anybody else that will listen. Because he turns the broken and makes it beautiful. Here's a prayer I want to pray over you today. I've actually been praying it for the last few weeks. I was reading the book of Ephesians, and Paul prays a long prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 over the Ephesian church. And as I read it, I thought how fitting that prayer is for us today. And let me pray it over you. I'm going to read it for you today. Ephesians 1.19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on to say that God has given him authority over everything. I want you to notice this is an incredibly great power. But we never, how much power? You need a unit of measurement. How much power? Because if I said to you this tablet weighs three, that really doesn't tell you anything. Three what? Three ounces, three pounds, three what? Because the unit of measurement is what gives what I'm talking about context and understanding. So when Paul says there is this incredibly great power that is available to all who believe, believe him, he quantifies that power by saying he gives us the unit of measurement. It is, here's the unit of measurement. It is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. 
So the way he quantifies the power that is available to us today is a resurrection power. It is a death-defying power that is available to all who believe him. Now, death is the last enemy. And he says that Jesus, through the resurrection, has power that is available to you over the last enemy of death, which means whatever other enemy is in your life, shame, sin, addiction, brokenness, abuse, I don't know what enemy is standing in line behind death, but if he has the authority over death, I promise you, he has the authority over whatever other enemy is plaguing your life today. It is a power available to those who believe him. Notice this, it didn't say those who believe in him. It said the power is available to those who believe him. A lot of people believe in him that don't know this power. You can believe in him, go to church on occasion, know a couple verses, pray when you get in a bind, because you believe in him. Even the demons believe in him. But this power is available, Paul says, to those that believe him. There is a difference in believing in him. A lot of people believe in him. But a few people believe in, people that take him at his word, that surrender to his lordship, that align their lives with his. And the promise of Ephesians 1 is that if I will surrender my life to him and align my life with him and believe him and take him at his word, there is power to restore, power to heal, power for grace, power for forgiveness. Today is a day when that resurrection power is available for new life, new birth, second chances, new hope, healing from our brokenness. I ask the team today to play, and I think Carolyn is coming to play today a song that was playing. I asked them to play a, a song that was playing the night I came to Jesus. The, 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 that not, I came to church that morning, left, came back that night, and gave my life to Christ. It was a song called In the Presence of Jehovah. It's an old song. Most of you won't recognize it, but it's a song that simply, the lyrics of the song basically have this, this meaning. They say, I'm broken, I'm shattered, I have, my life is full of troubles. When I leave his presence, it all falls apart. But if I can just get into the presence of Jehovah, if I can get into God's presence, my troubles vanish. There's peace in the middle of my chaos. And I want you to know that hope today. I want you to know that peace. I believe God wants to heal the broken hearts of people, Christian people that have followed him forever. But you're hanging on the wall with a beautiful frame. You're just dressed beautifully today. But inside, something's missing. It's a marriage gone awry, a a grieving heart from a death in the past, a, a secret sin that you're hiding that nobody knows about and you live every day in shame. He he wants to cleanse you, set you free, give you hope today. But there are others of you today who don't even know what you don't know. You just came, a friend invited you today and you sent something, you can't explain it. You sense that just maybe the God of this universe is reaching out to you to make this ancient truth a reality in your life. And I would challenge you today, give him your life. I walked all the way to the front of that building that day, not ever really thinking it was going to stick. And somebody walked with me and it made a difference. I'm not the same today because of that moment. And I really believe this moment could change the trajectory of your life. There are people in this room today, you're what we call a prodigal. You know, you loved him. You've been on fire. You've met him. You've wept in his presence. And you've been running as hard as fast as you can the wrong direction for the last few years. And he's pulling you back. Just come. Come. A few weeks ago, I sat down and wrote a prayer and asked him to put it on this because I wanted you to be able to take it with you. Would you find this? I told you we'd go back to it 
at the end of the service today, and I'm going to read this prayer. And listen, there is no magic incantation that I can say or you can say that fixes it. But a prayer of surrender will invite God into your brokenness and invite God into your life and cover your sin. And I'm asking you today to surrender your life to Jesus. Do you sense him calling you today? When Rodney put his arm around me that day, he put words in my mouth I didn't know what to say. But I just, my heart wanted to say it. I just didn't know how. And those words weren't magic. It was because my heart was believing what, yes. When Rodney would say it, I'd say yes. I didn't know what to say. So I want to be your Rodney today and help you a little bit. And I'm going to pray this. But you make it yours as I pray it today. It's a prayer for the broken. Jesus, thank you for descending into my brokenness and identifying with my pain. You became a man of sorrows so you could understand me. You rose from the dead to prove you had the power to change me. Now I need your grace to cover me. I long to have a hope greater than my sin, my shame, my pain, and my past. Today, I give you my life. I give you all of me. The tragedies, the triumphs, the sin, the sorrows, and the successes. I confess with my mouth that I have sinned against you and trust in your grace to forgive. Today, I unashamedly confess you as the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart you rose from the dead. And by trusting in you, I lay hold of a hope that will sustain me in my brokenness, my questioning, and my waiting. In you, my brokenness is beautiful. Use it for your glory today and forever. I am yours. Amen. I believe with all my heart if somebody prayed that prayer from the depths of their deep, cried out to deep, that this is the moment your life changes forever, not just now, but all of eternity as you surrender your life to Jesus. Let me help you. Let me ask. We're going to tear all of these off. These are our surveys. When we receive the offering in just a moment, our team is preparing to do that. When we receive the offering in just a moment, um, I'm going to ask everybody, if you will, to put your surveys in there. But let, let me, up at the top where the prayer is, there's a box. If you made a commitment to Christ today or you recommitted your life to Christ today, let me know that because they'll bring all of those to me. And if you provided your information on the front for me to communicate with you, I want to reach out and see how I might can help you. So please mark that and put those in the offering that is received today. It will help me help you. At the bottom, there's an invitation. Thursday night, I just decided to do this. You know what, Lord, I want to be somebody's Rodney. Thursday night, 7 o'clock, I'm going to be sitting out here in the coffee area. And I'm just inviting any of you that are new on your spiritual journey. Maybe you stepped across the line of faith today and you want to know what's next. There were some things Rodney did for me that helped me sustain this walk for the long haul. And I want to have that conversation with you over a cup of coffee, a bottle of water. I just, I don't know if anybody will show up. If five of us do, 15, I don't care. I just, I'm going to be available Thursday night, 7 o'clock, right out there in the lobby to have that conversation. Let me help you. I'm going to ask the team if they would and come and prepare to serve you. Uh, you, And just put your surveys in there. Please mark it. Make sure your name is there. Guest. Make sure when you leave today, you stop by and claim your gift at the Guest Connect area. Um, Pastor Taylor uh, had a, a bag. It's a fresh start bag. Um, and at the tent, when you leave the building today, there is a tent outside. 
the east entrance, and we're calling it the Fresh Start Tent. I put together some materials. There's Bible in there. There's a, a, some digital resources, sermon material in there that will help you grow. If you've made a decision to follow the Lord today, commit. You're coming back. You've been gone a long time. I want to give those things to you. I want to resource your life. So please stop by the tent on your way out and say, I prayed that prayer with Pastor Brian. And then I specifically want you to ask them for this. It's a piece of a puzzle. If you'll notice, if you'll go out by the Kintsugi artwork when you leave, there is a puzzle there. The staff was putting that puzzle together all week long in the break room, and I kept circling that like a buzzard, waiting for nobody to look at it because I wanted to steal a piece of that puzzle. Because old habits die hard. But they had it covered. I mean, I could never get in there, so I waited until they got it all together, and late one night I walked in there and pulled a piece right out of the middle. So the puzzle right out by the Kintsugi art piece is missing one piece right in the middle. This is it. I have it. And I just thought, you know what? I want another one of those puzzles. Just like that one. Let's bust it up into a thousand thousand pieces. Let's bust it up. And everybody that wants a memorial of what God did in their life today, they commemorated their life. This is a memorial. I'm going to keep this in my pocket for the next several weeks to remember what God did here today on Easter 2019 at North Place. And I want to encourage you, if you made a decision to renew or commit your life to Jesus. Go by that fresh start tent and say, Pastor Brian said there was a piece of the puzzle back here for me. Because one day we're all going to get to heaven and we're going to make a complete puzzle as brothers and sisters when we stand with him around his throne. Go get your piece of the puzzle. Amen. I'm going to continue the series next week. I'm going to talk about shame and how you deal with it. I've lived with it. Some I created myself and others that was imposed on me. And I want you to know how the gospel addresses your shame. I lead a small group beginning on April the 29th called Growth Track. It helps you connect to the life of this church and helps you grow spiritually. You sign up, Mother's Day's coming, and then there's a youth and children's event. That youth event, treasure hunt, they're having an extreme treasure hunt this Wednesday night. (laughs) They're going to have eggs frozen in ice, eggs buried in mud, eggs tethered to rope. And inside those eggs are gift cards and game consoles for kids. They're going to win all kinds for students, junior high and high school. They're going to win all kinds of things. The point is not frivolous fun. Pastor Greg is going to say students are looking high and low for meaning, but God has already planted a treasure inside of them. All they got to do is discover it. That's Wednesday night. Next Sunday's glow in the dark. Uh, Pastor Jordan is continuing the series in nursery to kids' ages. Literally, it's going to be glow in the dark tunnels, glow in the dark sunglasses. I don't know how they did this, but they said there's going to be glow in the dark donuts. Your kids are going to be radioactive when they leave next weekend. He even said, Pastor, tell them to wear neon because their kids will glow next weekend when they come back wearing neon. Again, it's not frivolous fun. He's teaching them today about how to anchor their lives to the cross. And next weekend is this message. Just because your life is anchored to the cross doesn't mean it's going to be free of pain. There will be dark seasons. But when Jesus is in your life and you're anchored to the cross, the light of the world lives inside of you and you can glow in the dark seasons of your life because you're never alone. Would you stand with me all over this place, prayer team? Would you make yourself available today to serve this body? The reason I'm having the prayer team come today because I want you to know um, if you're a believer and you need healing from your broken heart or you need a miracle in any area of your life, it's Resurrection Weekend. We want to join our faith with yours. If you're seeking spiritually and you want to talk to somebody about Jesus this weekend, these people are ready to pray with you about what it means to follow Jesus. I just want you to know we're available to pray that the power of the resurrection is available to those who believe Him today and we want it to manifest itself in your life.
So Lord, would you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face shine down upon them? Be gracious to them. Turn your countenance their direction and give them peace, shalom, wholeness, and completion. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you.